Hey everybody and welcome to CEO Sitdowns, where I, John Cannell, your host, have sit-down conversations with CEOs from all walks and all industries to hear their stories, pick their brains, and learn from their experience. On today's show, I'm happy to welcome Marcus Benish. Marcus is the CEO of Summer Athletes, a startup company focused on improving the athletic summer camp experience. I really enjoyed this conversation with Marcus as I got to learn more about Marcus's business beginnings, his experience with venture capital, his passion for startups, and much more. So, without further ado, I invite you to pull up a chair and listen in to my conversation with Marcus Benish. Hello, Marcus. How are you? I'm doing good, John. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. By all means. Well, to kick us off here, Marcus, I'd like for you to give the folks at home an idea of your background, where you're from, and kind of your origin, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I grew up in a small town out in western Nebraska, Kearney. Uh, I attended Kearney Catholic High School and... Then most recently, I received a Scott Scholarship, uh, which is kind of an engineering scholarship at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Um, There, I got two degrees in computer science and cybersecurity and had a great time, learned obviously a ton, loved my college experience, and now I'm starting Summer Athletes. That's amazing. Now, I'm curious, when you were in Omaha, that Scott Scholars program, I've heard a lot about it. Were you required to live in the dorms all those years? So that's kind of one of the things of the scholarship, which, so it's a full ride, which is really nice. So it pays 100% for academics, food, books, and dorm. uh, But then you are required to live in the dorm, which normally would be kind of a negative experience, I think, with, you know, like, there's not a lot of upperclassmen living in dorms, generally speaking, but um, the dorm was just for the Scott Scholars. So there's like a floor that was pretty much all seniors um, and upperclassmen. And so it actually ended up being really great. That's that's admirable because I certainly didn't live in the dorm my senior year of college. Um, Then again, my senior year was COVID, so it got kicked out anyway. But I, I'm curious, when you were um, in, in that dorm, was the setting competitive? Was there a lot of ideas going back and forth? Was it an entrepreneurial hotbed, if you will? What was that atmosphere like? It's kind of funny. I ended up rooming with three kids who were all architectural engineering majors. So I was kind of the odd man out in the computer science, cybersecurity. Um, but... It, I, I don't know if I'd say it was super entrepreneurial, but it was definitely high achieving. I can remember going down and meeting a friend of mine at 1 a.m. because he just got done studying for the MCAT and, you know, stuff like that. Or people, my roommates comparing their grades and I think everybody had above a 90 percent, but someone was ticked off because they got a 97 oh and the other got a 99 <laughs> or so. Um yeah, I definitely think it was a really studious wow. environment for sure. Now, is that an environment that you thrive in or are you kind of the guy who wants to go off and go it alone for lack of a better word? Or do you you do you benefit from that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So um, 
because I bonded so well with my roommates, we didn't actually share any classes um, after freshman year just because of, you know, different um, career paths. So uh, I wouldn't say that I like really competed a ton with the other like computer science kids, but I definitely really appreciated the close knit group. Um, I think like senior year, we had a get together every Thursday night that we just all would hang out and play cards in somebody's room and just stuff like that is, it was really cool to be so close knit. So yeah, it's definitely something I appreciate when looking back on. That's awesome. You love to hear it. Now, one thing, Marcus, I'd like to know, you, you mentioned you got two degrees from UNO, but was mm-hmm. there any spark in your high school career that really set you on the path of, I want to get into programming, I want to get into software? What, where did that begin? Yeah, it's kind of a funny, um, funny story. So I guess my first entrepreneurial experience, really, it ties in with the computer stuff, I swear. So um a friend of mine, and now he's my co-founder, um, me and Guy Richard were just hanging out one day and a different friend uh, kind of started his own summer business where he was just detailing cars and both his parents were doctors. So he got a ton of clients where they'd oh, be like, paying like a hundred dollars to for him to vacuum out their car or something. And I know uh, I was like, well, crap, we can do something like that. Um, and so then we got to thinking about what we were good at. So we started a company we called BR Computer Repair and Setup. Because um, my last name was Benish and his was Richard. And I put my phone number on the flyer. So that's why the B got put in front of the R. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we advertised on Craigslist, talked to like family friends and made some money like just fixing people's computers isn't anything really serious. Um, And so that's kind of honestly one of the first things that got me interested in computers. And then, I don't know, I I was always good at math and science. um, And so I always knew I kind of wanted to be something in engineering. And then honestly, one day I was just kind of, this sounds crappy, but I was looking up salaries online. I was a junior in high school, I remember. (laughs) And I saw that software engineers had the highest salary of engineers. It's like, well, I think I could do that. And that's kind of what first started me down the software path. And then, I mean, I've grown to love it. So it's been amazing. Really? So was, was that a natural gifting in your judgment or was it something you really had to work at? Uh, you're talking about being a software engineer? Yeah, the programming aspect, because I know nothing about that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's foreign to me. But was it, what did it come naturally? Did it um, have a good de- amount of obstacles, roadblocks? What was that? Yeah, I think it's really um, interesting. You think of things a different way when you're writing computer programs. I mean, you think of it in a very step-by-step algorithmic view. Um, and, I mean, UNO was a great school. It taught me well. And I think... I don't know if I'd say I was a natural. I definitely had to work at it, but um, it was a good pairing for sure. So uh, one last tidbit here, Marcus, before we transition. Um, did you have a lot of your classes in the Peter Kiewit building? Yeah, PKI. Um, yeah. So fun fact, I used to work in that building. No kidding. Where? Yeah, I used to work in that building under the um, dean and the business manager there on the first floor. Um, but I worked there for maybe nine months during, uh, what was that, 2018. 
Um, so I know nothing about computers, but I got to know a lot of the professors um, and it was it was a good time. That's funny. What a small world. <laughs> it's a small world. But anyway, um, that that's that's so, so cool. I really appreciate getting your background. But now tell me more about summer athletes, because do you have an athletic background? How did that crop up? What was the origin of that idea? Uh, I wouldn't say I have a super athletic background. I played um, football and basketball was my main sport in high school. And uh, I was okay at it. Um, didn't really get a ton of college interest and then got the full ride for academics. So that was the cr- kind of the route I chose. Um, but I actually got the idea because a really close friend of mine, uh, we were at his house just hanging out in Lincoln and he's, his name's Matt Masker and he's a backup on quarterback on the Husker football team. And the previous year, um, with NIL, he was actually able to run summer camps and he made a really good amount of money doing that, but it was just a total pain for him to really figure out like the organization of it all. Um, just cause like he had no clue who was going to show up when people showed up, he was just like accepting cash, their checks. Some people were trying to Venmo him is just a total headache. And then like he wanted to provide t-shirts for the kids but he had no clue how many were going to show up or like what their sizes were or anything like that. So he asked me to just build him specifically a website um, to handle registration for his camps. And initially I was just going to crank out one like super generic that's focused just on him, which would have been, I mean, difficult, but not take a ton of time. But then I really got to thinking about my experience going to, athletic camps back in high school. I was like, man, there'd just be a huge market if you could make a platform where a coach could create an account and then create a summer camp with a registration and payment link. Campers click on the link, pay with a credit card, and then we direct deposit the money into the coach's checking account. And so that's kind of the birth of summer athletes was that conversation there. So when it came to summer athletes specifically, I'm just curious because you talked about your co-founder. What what was the division of labor in those um, early months? Because you're in your eighth month, correct? Uh, yes, we're in our eighth or ninth month now, I guess. Yeah, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did that come about? Was it just like all hands on deck? We'll try to do this together, or was there someone who is like, oh, let's consider the financial, the legal, etc.? What was that like for us? Um, my co-founder, that guy Richard, he ended up studying software engineering at Lincoln while I was computer science and cybersecurity at Omaha. So we both have kind of an engineering background. Um, And we really split up the labor as just like, before we deal with any financials, anything like that, we have to have a product. Like we have to build something that works that people can use. So we kind of split it up where I would build like the front end UI portion where like what you'd actually see when you go to summer athletes on your um, laptop or something like that. And then he handled more of the back end, like our server that we actually ran where he'd write like the methods to handle data and stuff in the back end. Um, but then it kind of evolved into everybody just doing everything they can to make it work. But that was kind of the initial general division of labor. And then since then, 
uh, I've taken over all the CEO duties of like raising capital, financing, um, handling, you know, advertising, that kind of stuff. So is it just you two as employees or do you have someone else on board there? Uh, currently it is just us two. We have a couple contractors and then we got an investment from a venture capital firm who like one of their big pillars is actually like actively helping out founders build their companies. So they've definitely provided us a ton of support. But as far as actual employees, if you will, it's just me and Guy so far. So you, you mentioned your uh, venture capitalist there. Mm-hmm. Um, give the folks at home an idea of what a venture capitalist is exactly. Yeah. So a venture capitalist is um, basically they are an investment firm where they can take money from people they call limited partners, uh, where they in- give venture capitalist money to invest and they look for companies that just have huge growth potential where they can generate a huge return on their money. And generally they look for more riskier investments that have a higher potential payout. Um, it's kind of generally what a venture capitalist is. So you, you said you started the company roughly eight, nine months ago. Where did it occur to you to start looking for a venture capitalist? Was it brought up to you by a friend or a family member? How did that timeline progress? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, so I've always been interested in like startups. So I knew that it'd be really beneficial to be getting some extra capital at some point. Um, how I actually met my venture capitalist that ended up um, investing their proven ventures, um, the partners I work with are Nathan and Erica, and they've been nothing short of amazing. Been so lucky to have them on board. Um, but how I actually got in touch with them was again through the Scott Scholarship Program. Actually, uh, we had a banquet at Walter Scott's residence. Oh, really? Um, wow, that's something. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy to see his. Uh, they called it a barn, but the barn is nicer than any house I've been in. Because, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Marcus, but Walter Scott, for the folks at home, he has passed away, but he was a billionaire, right? Uh, yeah, I think actually a multi-billionaire. He's been, yes, yes. I, it was two or three. I can't remember the figures, but I believe so. Yeah, I, I guess I have no more insight on his figures than anyone else would. But um, but he yeah, had he a was, nice barn. Take us from there. <laughs> <laughs> he had a nice barn, and he was just a stalwart, really, in the Omaha community. I mean, I don't think you can go three blocks without seeing Scott something. Um, like he built the aquarium at Henry Doyley Zoo is one of the many, many projects he's donated to. But um, anyways, to continue our story. So they always have an annual barn dinner for all the Scott Scholar recipients. And there's a Scott Scholarship program at UNO, and that's kind of the main one as far as I understand, but there's one at Creighton, uh, I think Notre Dame and Colorado State. And so um, for this past year, they invited us all out there, uh, which was really cool and got to meet everybody. But one of the people at the table I was sitting at was an entrepreneurship at Creighton, uh, entrepreneurship professor at Creighton. And um, yeah, so we just got to 
talking about summer athletes and I asked him for a business card to connect um, just to talk. And then I kind of pitched him my idea, told us, told him about summer athletes, how it worked. And he thought it was a really cool idea. And he put me in touch with Nathan over at Proven Ventures. And that kind of sparked our initial meeting. And then a couple months later, we were able to sign a deal with him. So how intense was that process of presenting the pitch, meeting the um, venture capitalists? What was that like? Was Because um, I'm just trying to figure, for the folks listening, like, could you compare it to an end-of-semester project, or what, what's the level of intensity there? I was definitely very nervous the first time I met with him, um, and it was just a Zoom meeting. I'd be pitting out. I don't know about <laughs> you. but Yeah, uh, I think he picked up on that, which is kind of funny, but then he was interested and then invited me to meet in person to talk more about you know our project, Summer Athletes, and... I, I guess it's interesting because I definitely had to prepare, but at the same time, I already knew everything about my company because I was the one building it. I built the prototype, you know, I knew all the financials, so it wasn't like anything I had to really learn extra. Um, and it, our, our meetings were pretty informal. I mean, I created like a 10 deck, 10 page, like pitch deck, but, uh, I wouldn't say the preparation was really that terrible just because I already knew, you know, where my company was at. Now, um, how many months ago did your venture capitalist hop on board? I think our initial meeting was in April and then we finalized terms in July, I want to say. Was that negotiation process pretty standard? Was there any surprises along the way? And feel free to um, not say anything if you need to. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I take that back. We we finalized our deal in September, so it was a bit of a long process. Um, I think it was more they just wanted to see what the market was like after our initial kind of beta launch this summer. Um, I wouldn't say they threw me for any loopholes I wasn't expecting. Um, I definitely researched a ton about venture capital deals and made sure uh, I was fully prepared I think there's definitely some shady venture capitalists out there, um, but I am fully confident that I got the the best ones. Um, Nathan and Erica have been amazing, super helpful. Um, but yeah, I just doing research on other companies' venture capital deals um, was just kind of entertaining to me, frankly, but it always just helped me prepare for anything that they could throw at me. Was it like Shark Tank in that regard? You know, everybody always makes that comment. I was going to say, that's probably a common comment. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I think Shark Tank is pretty highly dramatized. and Sure. Um, I think there's a lot less drama than that. Um, so I, I guess I wouldn't really compare it too much to Shark Tank, actually. But yeah, for sure. That's just my take um, on it. Yeah. But you mentioned your beta launch, Marcus. Um, how did that go? Was there uh, good results from that? Or what was the hurdles that you ran into? Tell us more. It was, it was pretty stressful. We, I mean, to try and build out and launch a working pretty large application in 
basically the span of two months was really, really stressful. It took a lot of work. Um, but yeah, we launched, uh, and it was really interesting to hear the user feedback we got from our initial launch. We've added several features that, uh, I think will be hugely beneficial to future coaches. Um, initially in our first beta launch, the website kind of looked crappy, frankly, um, wasn't a ton of styling, but it worked. And, um, there's no way to really customize the sign up form for an athlete registering for a camp. So if a coach wanted to collect, I don't know, say custom information of if it was a football combine, say like height and weight of a athlete, there's no way he could do that. So we added in that ability. We made the site look just better holistically, added some styling to make it not look super, I don't know, Craigslisty almost. <laughs> I have to ask Marcus, whenever I have to like paint a room in my house or I'm dealing with colors or design or things like that, I always refer to the women in my life because they seem to know much better than I, whether it looks good or bad. Do you have anyone that is your de facto cabinet on those kind of things? Um, honestly, no, I just kind of, I really subscribe to, I think it was Steve Jobs who said that if somebody has a great idea, don't be hesitating to steal it. Um, so I just looked on websites that I thought looked good and then kind of modeled summer athletes off of that. Sure. Um, so that was kind of how I went about the design process for like just the graphics and such. Now, when it comes to that beta process, is that, how long does that take? Because I'm sure there's a lot of work you do on your end to shove it out, but how much work is that? Is it weeks worth? Is it days worth? What is the, um, the time frame? Uh, it was months worth oh, golly. to get this thing <laughs> up and running. Um, you know, like I said, me and my co-founder both have an engineering background and we're putting in easily multiple hours a day on this thing for two months straight before it was able to be up and running. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of a iterative process where you see something that, Oh yeah, this would be a cool feature to add in or man, it'd look really cool if it was styled like this. And then from there, you just kind of gradually improve the product after customer feedback. And you're doing this full time, right? You're working on summer athletes full time. Yeah. Yep. Currently I am. So I, one thing, because I imagine you're staring at a computer for many hours, coding, programming, etc. What does a guy do to de-stress, to relax from all that, to take a step back and uh, get some perspective? What do you do? Yeah. Um, I like to just kind of get out and go for a walk. Um, I just stretch my legs, get some fresh air always helps me and then kind of reset. Um, that's probably my go-to one. Um, I have some hobbies. I enjoy dirt biking. I have a dirt bike out here in Kearney that I enjoy taking for a spin. Um, you know, working out or shooting some hoops at the local court, just kind of stuff like that to get a little active and just kind of get your mind off of, you know, summer athletes is what I do. Sure. Sure. Now, um, back, back to the beta. How many um, users, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
Um, but your users technically are coaches, right? Because they're the ones getting onto the platform. And then from there, they're leveraging it to their athletes. Is that right? Or do I have that backwards? No, no, that's correct. Um, yeah, our business model is we really want to make it free for coaches and then charge an additional fee for each camper who signs up. Um, we do that just because we think it's better for coaches. And if a coach, the coach is really the end decision maker for how they run a camp. Sure. Um, so that's kind of our strategy. Yeah, we initially launched and um, we had very few coaches using it, um, but it was enough to get feedback. Um, one of our, it was really cool to see um, one of our initial users, he's the president of the Kansas Football Coaches Association, and he used it for a couple of his camps, and he loved it, gave us some feedback, and then promoted it to a couple other coaches who used it, and they also loved it and gave it some more feedback. How did you go about getting those coaches was it just asking folks you knew? Did you advertise? Because I imagine that's pretty hard, getting up off the ground like that. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a, a process for sure. Um, I would say we, so we already knew that our initial user was Matt mm -hmm. and um, he'd really use us no matter what. Like we built the thing with him in mind. Um, and then from there, we kind of leveraged, we partnered with a marketing firm. That's kind of a smaller firm that is really uh, in, uh, smart on how they advertise for us. We kind of launched a three prong approach of kind of Google ads, where if somebody was searching for summer camp software, we'd pop up high, uh, targeted Facebook advertisements, and then kind of those, you know, those uh, banner ads that you sure. see on sites. Um, and so that was how we initially started our marketing process. Now is when, when you go out and you try to seek those coaches, I imagine there's a part of you that is almost, uh, hesitant to, cause I mean, this is, this is your company. This is your baby. It's not something you're willing to just hand off right away. Was there any part of you that's like, oh gosh, I don't think this will ever be ready to pass on to the, to the coach, to the user. Was there any of that? you always kind of get a little bit of nerves, but, uh, I think one of the things that really always helps me is I was reading a blog written actually by like a venture capitalist in the, uh, software as a service space. And one comment he wrote, he said that once you, once you get 10 paying customers, you cannot be stopped. You only lose if you quit. And I really truly do believe that. Um, and did he give like some uh, basis for that, or why was it ten? Why was it ten? Uh, I think the magic number of ten was once you get ten, you'll be able to get a thousand because there's no ten unique people who are willing to pay for a solution. And at that number, then it's not just people you know who are doing you a favor. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I know, I always think back on that quote um, whenever I get a little stressed and it's honestly just something I really truly do believe. And once we've passed that mark, which we have now, obviously, um, it's just keep on growing.
That's that's great. So um, you you mentioned the blog that you read that from. I'm always interested to hear and to find out what um, what mediums people are using to get their information. Um, so in in your case, do you uh, listen to many podcasts? Is it reading? What is that preferred mode that you kind of absorb and become better not only in your profession as a CEO, but just the wider world and develop that uh, just uh, lifelong learner mentality, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I kind of hesitate to say this, but I'm not really a huge podcast guy, actually. <laughs> um, That's okay. <laughs> I, I'm more of a book person. Um, there's so many great books about startups um, that I've learned just amazing things from. Um, I think the most recent... Do you have a favorite? Yeah. So, uh, I've, so there's a couple I have actually sitting right on my desk here. Um, shoot. I want to hear them. I think my favorite is masters of scale by Reed Hoffman. Uh, he was a LinkedIn co-founder and okay. I, I, that name sounded familiar. Yeah. And I think he's a partner at the founders fund, which is a pretty large venture capital firm out in Silicon Valley. Um, that's that was a really interesting book to read. It was really easy to read. Um, the startup owner's manual is definitely a bit more technical. Um, it really talks about like a sales funnel and process. Um, it really talks about the lean startup methodology, um, sure. which has been really good to read. It's more of a manual. It's if you have a question, you look up a specific chapter, you can't really read it front to back. Um, but those are definitely two that I've been uh, really interested in. Another one was Learn How to Take a Punch. Um, is written by Brett Fox, who was, he started his own startup um, in the analog integrated circuit space. Um, and he raised something like $12 million worth of funding to start his company um, and it was, it's just really kind of stories about his experience as a startup founder. So you mentioned that manual. I'm always, I'll admit, I'm always a little skeptical of certain practices that are put forth um, that, that sounds simplistic because running a business is hard work. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there are no guarantees. There's no layups, if you will. Um, do you share that skepticism at all? Or are you kind of like, if this has worked for them, I should try to see if it'll work for me. What is your attitude toward d those widely held business practices? I think you got to take them each individually. There's definitely a few business practices that I feel like consultants preach that are just a load of crap, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, but one that I really love following is the lean startup. I don't know a lot about lean um, and I'm sure there are a lot of folks listening who don't. Why don't you give us just uh, a snippet of what lean is? Cause I've certainly heard about it, but my depth of knowledge is not su sufficient. I guess it can honestly be really summed up in that the customer knows best. And by talking to the customer, you'll gain valuable insight on how you want to build your company. Um, just meet with, try to meet with at least a hundred of your customers, talk to them, see what their needs are, see what their motivation is. And you'll just gain basically incredible market insight on 
not just what your product needs to do, but any question you have about it, how you want to sell it, how you market it. Um, and that's, I could go into more details, but that's kind of a brief overview. Sure. Um, I remember uh, reading or hearing somewhere, I forget now, but this, this gentleman, very, very respectable business guy, like I said, I can't remember who he was, but he was talking about there are companies that are focused on the customer, like Amazon, just obsessively focused. And then there are companies that are focused on the shareholders. Um, and then there are companies who are just focused um, kind of on doing good, if you will. Um, that's pretty vague. Where, where would you say that summer athletes falls? Is your hyper intense focus on those coaches, those users, or are you more trickling down into the funnel and thinking about the athletes or is it a both end? Yeah, it's, we are very customer obsession focused. Um, sure. There's multiple huge companies that, uh, that's just one of their pillars of success. Um, Obviously, Amazon is the really main one. Um, Uber's definitely had its problems with culture, but uh, <laughs> customer obsession was not one of their issues. Um, and yeah, we fully believe in just focusing on how we can best serve the customer. And we think that that'll put us in the best place to achieve success. Sure. And um one last note on, on the customer kind of mentality. When you sent that beta out to your coaches, I, I, I really want to know what was their initial reaction? Were they super excited or were they kind of standoffish to a degree saying, oh, we've done it this way for so long, we'll keep doing it? What was their um, emotional response? Yeah, so the beta launch was really used by what we call our early adopters, um, mm -hmm. the first people to use summer athletes. And they loved the simplicity of it. That was one of the best feedbacks we've gotten was how nice it was to just be able to simply create this summer camp. And then you, boom, you have a registration link. You can put it in a group chat. You can print off the QR code and put it on flyers. Um, and then just have the money show up in your checking account. So they love that. Um, there's, it was interesting to hear about some issues on pricing. Um, really? Tell me more. So we, for summer athletes, there's really two core customer personas. Um, there's the high school coaches whose motivation is really more to just best serve their athletes um, help put on camps so that way then their teams can win in the regular season. And then you get the kind of club coaches who are really more business focused and their real motivation is more to make money. Um, so the first customer persona of the high school coaches really had some issues with our pricing um, model, which was interesting really interesting to hear. So we tweaked it a little bit. Um, and I think now we've finally hit a sweet spot on it, on what our upcharge platform fee is for um, a camp. 
And if you would, Marcus, give give us an idea. What is the breakdown of that? I know it's on your website, but for those who are just listening, kind of walk us through, like with numbers, how that all works. So this first summer, um, we we initially started off under the assumption, which was my assumption. My co-founder disagreed, and he was definitely right on this one. I was in the wrong on it that by keeping our pricing model extremely low was the best way to generate growth. Um, I don't know. I kind of initially subscribed to the build a better mousetrap mentality and customers will beat your way to the door, which is just Mm -hmm. definitely false. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know of any successful business that actually works like that, but um so initially we were just charging like a $2 flat fee plus like 3% to handle the credit card processing was kind of mm-hmm. our initial pricing structure. And obviously then we weren't really making any money. So we then switched it to, we would make 10% of the camp price and then tack on the credit card fee um, which was an additional like 3%. So then price of a camp would be, if it was $60, it'd be $68.50. And that was better, but we did get a little, get little, get a little friction from the high school coaches using our site, um, that they didn't love that model. And so since then we have kind of shifted it down to, try to keep the camp price right around 10% with the credit card fee included. Um, at higher prices, then that percentage goes down. And at lower prices, we have to keep a constant uh, rate. Sure, sure. So um, this is getting a little more technical. But when when you sit down and you try to project those things out, because I'm assuming you are you know well versed in the Excel world and can um, put together those kind of models, what what is that uh, process in your mind? Is it one of pulling certain levers to achieve certain objectives and of not pulling others? Kind of walk us through how that works. Yeah, as a startup, projections are totally worthless. You, you don't know what you have. You don't know how sticky your idea is. I mean, as your customer base grows, then obviously your sample size will grow and then you'll have a better uh, view of how to grow your company. Um, just mathematically, that's just a fact that as your sample size grows, you're going to be able to generate a more uh, realistic average. But when you have two people using it, you have no clue exactly how, uh, what the best way is forward. So yeah, we we definitely have some projections now that we've been able to grow and really achieve some, frankly, amazing growth. Um, but when we were initially starting it with just our prototype, we projections were utterly useless. Really? Yeah. That's that's funny. <laughs> um so so on that 
front, when we're talking about projections and we're looking ahead to what's around the corner, I know the name of your company is Summer Athletes. Is that just your busy season? Is that where the name came from? Kind of give us an idea of what's involved within your year, where you find that you have to really be on your A game to um, hit your goals during the calendar year. So I think Summer Athletes is a really great name because it really focuses on our core business of helping coaches run summer camps. Um, I don't know if we want to change it, but our right now our software works year round. You can set any date for a camp. If you want to put it in December, that obviously works fine. Eventually I envision that it will be hard to run or to fully scale business on just three or four months of the year. Um, and I would like to see us expand outward. I don't know if that will necessarily involve us changing the name, but we will honestly, we'll just ask our coaches and see what they think, see how we can best get the message across and focus on customer obsession and they will point us in the right direction. For sure. So one one thing, Marcus, when it comes to your 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 platform, is it geared toward all kinds of sports or is there kind of a, a sweet spot, if you will, say for the basketball or um, the football kind of camps? What is the what is the, the design, the uh, crafting process around that? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, obviously, from a business perspective, we love the camps that are the highest priced with the most people attending. And just for um, the sake just, of our listeners, what are those high price camps? What is the one that's always at the top of the list? Uh, you'd be surprised, but from what we've seen so far, it's been lacrosse. Actually. Really? Yeah, no. Uh, again, I not something I would have known going into this, but yeah, just the customer will tell you and seeing how they use our platform has been so instrumental. But um, yeah, no, our site works for really any camp. If you think about the registration process for a camp, it's pretty much universal. Um, what, like, it doesn't matter what camp it is. If it's a volleyball camp, you're still going to pay and sign a waiver and input information the same as you would for a football camp. For sure. So um, back back to the platform and its mechanics. Is there something within the platform um that is, how can I put this? Like when it, when when a coach goes to the platform, is he immediately convinced that this is a good value proposition? He's going to get more value out of this because in my mind, I'm imagining coaches when they go to this, they'll look at it and think, "Oh, it might be too complicated. It's a little over my head. We'll just keep doing things the same way." What are you guys doing to communicate that value um, at the at the onset? Yeah, um, we've gotten great feedback on the simplicity of our site. And that's something that even as we add more features, we absolutely do not want to lose. Um, as far as communicating that value, we just, it's, it's a simple sign up process. We try to have the least amount of friction as possible. So that way a coach can really get his hands on it and see what our platform does. And we think that's the best way to really convert coaches to be using our site. 
Sure. Because at the moment, I know you're only eight, nine months in, but do you guys have any plans for like a referral program? So say one coach passes it along to another, he gets 5% off or whatever it may be. I mean, what is, what is the idea there? We have implemented a referral code process. Um, I'm going to keep some of the specifics a little under wrap here, but we're, we're targeting some really high value uh, coaches and others to be giving referral codes to. Because, I mean, we've talked about this mainly in the context of high school, but this can be used from elementary on up to college. Is that safe to say? It definitely can. Um, we try to focus on more of a B2C type sales process. Um, we're not the first ones to invent summer camp software, and we're smart enough to realize that. Um, but we, where we get outcompeted is the other software having more features that are more useful at an enterprise level where you can distribute pay to individual coaches. Um, oh, gotcha. So we really, our sweet spot is the people who don't need a ton of features and need it for more cheap. And do you guys think you'll stay there going forward or are you going to try to add all those features? Because how many, how many businesses, how many companies are there within this summer um, camp software space? Um, I don't want to give my competitors the value of speaking out specifics, but we've, we've identified <laughs> uh, at least two really strong competitors that I definitely have some plans on how we can compete and hopefully outperform them. That's, that's good to hear. I'm happy to hear that actually. Um, so I, I, I think we've covered the platform sufficiently enough, but back to your role as a CEO, Marcus, what have you found to be the most challenging aspect of running your own company? Oh man, that's a great question. I should have thought and had a prepared answer for that one. Um, <laughs> most challenging aspect towards running my company. Um, I don't know if it's the most challenging aspect, but I think the most valuable one is just self-awareness and realizing what you're good at and what you aren't. Um, I realized that I, at heart, am an engineer. Um, I think I have a good grasp of business sense. Um, my father had an MBA and I've always been interested in business. Um, but I think a weaker spot of mine is sales and marketing. Um, so just knowing that that's your weakness and being able to get help. Um, Erica, um, one of the partners at the venture capital firm has been instrumental in, uh, we just attended a trade show and she was instrumental in really helping prepare us for that. And it's not something I would have been able to do. Or this marketing firm that we have contracted with has been amazing and provided great, great value to us. So just knowing where your weaknesses are and being able to get help, I guess, would be my answer to that one. Now, on the flip side, what is the most rewarding thing about running your own company? Growth. Always growth. Um, you know, obviously I love building a product that's used 
Um, I love the challenges of engineering and really being able to hands-on um, see a feature that I built worked, but seeing our customer base grow is and always will be the defining metric of our success. That's, that's wonderful to hear because one thing that I think, and just this is coming from, I don't know how many years of listening to founders, listening to CEOs talk about their company, but they're all motivated by an idea. They get an idea like they found in a conversation with Matt Masker. They get an idea from walking down the street. And it's so inspiring to me to see just these ideas come to life. It's, it's really great, actually. Um, so thank you. Thank you for taking your idea and running with it. Um, I, the, the world's better off. I truly believe if the world had more entrepreneurs, um, we, would, we would be in a better spot. I, I could not agree more on that statement. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm happy to have a, a comrade in that sense. Um, one, one thing I want to um, talk more about, though, Marcus, is um, you, you've mentioned your passion for startups. What is it like? Because um, Nebraska isn't Silicon Valley, but we are the Silicon Prairie. What have you found this startup environment to be in our wonderful state? I mean, is the good life conducive to startups? Have there been challenges that you think were uh, maybe unnecessarily there because we're out in the middle of flyover country? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, I think Nebraska is a really great thriving ecosystem for um, startups, especially when you consider population density. Like, obviously, you're going to have way less startups than in Silicon Valley, just because there's way less people. Um, and I think there's been some really cool things and definitely a push in the Midwest and really specifically Nebraska to help get investments for startups. Um, so no, I, I really can't complain. I think it's been a really great environment, uh, personally. Do you, do you go to any um, startup meetups, if you will? Are there any kind of um, professional organizations that you belong to that kind of provide that connection between, um, you know, guys like yourself who are trying to accomplish something and are, are kind of um, riding it solo, if you will? Like you don't have a huge staff, you have you and your co-founder. So do you belong to any of those kind of things? Um, there's definitely been a few events that have been put on that I've attended. Um, there's one in Lincoln that was just kind of a meetup for prospective um, startups and startup founders uh, put on by a venture capital firm uh, run by the state. It was put on by Invest Nebraska, which is kind of the investment branch of, you know, the Nebraska legislature, as far as I understand it. Um, so I've gone to, uh, I guess that was really the only one I've gone to. It's only been eight months and, the first three was really just full steam ahead sprint on building a product. Um, <laughs> That's awesome because I have to imagine while while the grind, if you will, can be a little wearisome, it's also just a lot of fun. And you probably look back on that period with a lot of satisfaction, a lot of gratification. Oh, I definitely do. It's it's really just it's cool to see like just to go on summer athletes like when we're testing out a new feature and see everything that we've built up to this point is really just nothing short of amazing. That's, that's what we like to hear. Um, Cause 
it's once again, I always love the the concept of bringing an idea to fruition, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, but one thing, Marcus, and I'm always wanted to ask this when I see famous folks being interviewed, whether it be on the news, whether it just be on YouTube, if you can think back to your first grade teacher, what would she or he have to say about where you are now? Yeah, I don't know. I think first grade would be a little young to really predict somebody's success. Um, I'd be interested to see what the middle school and high school teachers say. Um, I remember I was in high school and there was kind of a social studies teacher who was very strict, but uh, once you actually were had good behavior, she was fun, fun to learn from. Um, and I remember, I think I was in seventh grade and I made a joke about going to community college or something. Um, no hate on people who do, but she, she just said, oh no, you're not going to go to community college. You're going to have a full ride academic scholarship and study engineering. And then that's what happened. So I thought that was, I don't know, it's a story <laughs> that sticks in my mind. I'd be curious to see what, what she'd say now. Um, and then obviously like the math and science teachers, I'd love to hear from and see what they, they think of me too. So that's awesome. Well, Marcus, I think we could probably talk for several hours, but I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And before um, we end here, why don't you give the folks an idea of where they can find out more about you, summer athletes, everything? If you want to find out more about summer athletes, obviously, feel free to go to our website, check us out. If you're a coach, please sign up. Um, that's just summerathletes.com. Uh, if you want to connect with me or find out more about me personally, um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search Marcus Benish and I'd be happy to connect and talk to anybody who wants to. That's awesome. Well, Marcus, thanks so much for coming on. And I look forward to hearing all about summer athletes down the road. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. Be sure to follow CEO Sitdowns on whatever podcast platform you use, and I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review as it helps others find the podcast down the road. And if today's episode called to mind a friend or family member who you think would enjoy today's conversation, go ahead and share this episode with them. I'd certainly appreciate it, and hopefully they will too. Thanks again for listening, and may you have a pleasant day wherever you may be. Thank you.